This is the AMA Los Angeles podcast. Are you ready? Welcome to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. I'm Joel Metzger. I'm in the offices of Fullscreen in Los Angeles, and I'm here with Alan Beard, Chief Marketing Officer of Fullscreen. Give us a quick thumbnail of Fullscreen. Sure. Fullscreen is what I broadly call a next-generation media company. We really are a diversified business, and we're in the business of serving three different audiences uh, in the content world, uh, what I call brands, fans, uh, and uh, and then creators. So creator is the business that Fullscreen was traditionally known for, which is um, YouTubers, Instagrammers, uh, these next generation media creators, which in some ways the, the best of them have evolved into their own media brands now. Uh, but they were, uh, this was the early MCN business. This is sort of what, it was full screen and Maker and a couple of other things. And that's what still a lot of people uh, in in Hollywood know us as because that's uh, the tradition there. Uh, it's diversified over the years, as I said, not just serving those creators, which we still serve. Uh, we have about 75,000 creators in our network uh, who are, you know, collectively doing about six or seven billion views a month on YouTube and uh, millions and millions more on other platforms. But we also serve uh, brands. Uh, so we have a whole agency division. That's actually how I arrived at uh, full screen uh, by uh, building up a social agency called McBeard. And then uh, full screen acquired McBeard and I became CMO of full screen after the acquisition. So there's a whole agency group that works with hundreds of brands doing uh, social media content, strategy, uh, influencer content, branded content with a we have a branded content studio that creates stuff for big brands and so it's it's diversified that way we also own a company called uh, rooster teeth which we've mostly left alone because it is a tremendous uh what i call the fan play it's a community um and if you don't know rooster teeth it's a fascinating case study all on its own and I could spend an hour just talking about how different Rooster Teeth is uh, than nearly every other media company and why every big media company that talks to me and learns about Rooster Teeth says, how can we get some of that magic going for us? And I'm talking about the biggest media companies in the world. So there's something special going on there, but it is a community fan play and we continue to focus on that community and fan experience. So uh, again, creators, brands, and fans. Well, let's say I'm a creator. I'm a content mm -hmm. creator. I'm on YouTube. My my views are rising, and I want to level up, and I get into bed with you guys. What what can I expect as we go through? The top creators in our network often have sort of the, the suite of things available to them, everything from a team helping them optimize and get more views uh, once they're hot and they're growing, making sure that they get to their potential when it comes to creating an audience. Uh, the second thing that's most natural and has happened happens every single day is connecting uh, really interesting, hot, um, fast-growing creators with brands that want to reach their same audience. And not just connecting them, hey, you guys should do this, or selling a creator because that's not how it works. It's really finding a match between what the creator wants to create, what is natural to them, uh, and uh, what the brand is willing to let them do because 
in an ideal world, and we can come back to this if you want to, but in an ideal world, you don't take the creator out of their natural environment and their natural thing. Uh, instead, a brand comes in and supports that, and that's the way that their fans actually receive that as uh, a, a bonus, a benefit, um, a value add from the brand instead of uh, you know, a, a twisting of that, that creator in order to serve some commercial purpose. And that there's a fine line there, but it's one that we do hundreds of times a year. And, uh, and part of the reason why great creators continue to come seek us out to, to really work on that type of thing. We also have original shows that we do and, uh, some of our top creators and fastest growing creators have, uh, have, land their own shows even some top podcasters have have come over to create the video version of their podcast with us um, and that's everyone from like uh, shane dawson tyler oakley uh, grace helbig big names um, that are in the sort of crossover realm of they started as YouTubers, now they're sort of becoming household names, and they're still seeking us out because we give them an opportunity to raise their game without trying to change who they are. So your company's weighted towards uh, younger audiences. Give me a comparison of how these new generations are using content compared to an old uh, geezer like me from Gen X. You are old. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know... We are weighted toward young audiences, and some of that's intentional. Mostly that's a, a matter of young audiences have migrated toward YouTube. Uh, one of the things that we find uh, both endlessly anecdotally, but also in original research that we've done for the target audience, is that uh, for the teenage group and even the younger end of the millennials, um, because millennials are older than most people think. Uh, you know, people throw out millennial as if it means everyone under 30. But really, millennials now are in their 20s and, and 30s. And then this next generation, Generation Z, or whatever we're going to end up calling them, um, we always joke that Generation Z is absolutely the most lazy name we could name them because Generation X meant something, but then we're like, oh, the next one's Y, and then, oh, Z comes next in the alphabet. But um, we'll, hopefully they'll earn some name that's more interesting over the course of time. But when you look at the teenage audience, almost, um, I mean, the, overwhelmingly, I should say, the research points that to them that they would give up cable, that they would give up Netflix even, they would give up all those things before they would give up their social media and especially YouTube as their consumption engine. And so we continue to, to uh, pursue working with great creators because that's where the audiences are going. And we, we continue to pursue creating for social platforms because that's where the young audience is. And even on our agency side, we do a ton of work with the entertainment industry, TV networks and movie studios. And our specialty there is helping them find a way for their stories, their IP to connect with younger audiences who are spending all of their time on social platforms, interacting not with the studios or the networks, but with each other, with their friends, and finding a way to make that storytelling a naturally connected fan to fan, not just fan to brand. Do younger audiences have a greater sense of ownership for these platforms? That is, if, if uh, sponsors come in and start, you know, uh, just sort of invading their space, do they have a sense of ownership about that compared to older audiences who just watch TV? Well, I'm going to separate the, that question. The, the two questions in there is, do they feel a greater sense of ownership, and um, are they offended by brands coming in? So, y 
I think, yes, undoubtedly, they have a greater sense of ownership. Um, and you, you hear that even in common language. They say, uh, check out my Snapchat, my Facebook, my Twitter, my, my, my. They talk about it as if they own it, that that is their publishing channel. It, the mentality of it is the same way that um, someone who's the head of a network or the head of a studio says, my studio. They, they think of that, that thing as being theirs in that they control what content goes there. They decide what's good. They decide what gets a heart, what gets a like, what gets a retweet. They, they curate their own sort of network experience, if you want to think of it on a, on a micro level, right? So they definitely have a sense of ownership in that it's the f first generation that really has a chance to build their own thing. Um, when I was a kid, I watched whatever was on the three or four TV stations that we had. And if you wanted to see something, then you better be in front of the TV when it was on because you couldn't control nor predict what the rerun schedule would be. Well, now kids have, even even over TV, they feel like they it's theirs. They So there's definitely a greater sense of ownership. Now, we're seeing a shift um, when we in our research between millennials, um, who for the most part have had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about brands invading their space, right? They 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 feel like, and this goes even back to the beginnings of the World Wide Web, where the purists didn't want brands involved. They didn't want banner ads. They didn't want brands. They were going to ruin everything. And in some ways, brands did ruin a lot of that stuff. That, that in terms of the feeling, but you don't. I mean, as someone who experienced the beginning of the World Wide Web, I don't want to go back to that age ever. And you don't get there without having brands really invest in, in making it, it become something. And so um, what we're seeing is that um, this teenage generation, Gen Z, is much more open to branded content. But... It's mainly because, in my opinion, brands are getting much smarter about not, quote unquote, ruining it, meaning they understand that their role as a brand is to fuel the fans, to give them stuff that they love and want to talk to each other about and not to interrupt, which is the, the primary paradigm of the last generation of media. If there's a great TV show. Well, every seven minutes or whatever, we're going to interrupt it with a commercial break and we all sort of buy into that construct because, hey, somebody's got to pay for it. That's the way things work. And we didn't have any other choices when we were when we were kids. Now everyone's got choices. And so brands have to be much smarter or kids have filters, whether they think of them as filters or not. But they have filters to make sure they never see that stuff if they don't want to. And so brands are getting much better, much smarter at creating content that that their fan bases, younger fan bases, think of as value added to their lives. Let's talk about production values. Sure. It seems like younger audiences, well, all audiences, but younger ones in particular, they seem to be more and more forgiving towards production values. Uh, and then sometimes I've even seen like pretty big commercials shot as if to look like it was on an iPhone. Is yeah. that, is that, is that a, a trust thing? They're trying to garner trust because it seems like if, it's, if the content is slightly homemade, then it's, somebody's not trying to be a shill. I, I'm sure that's part of it. I, I think, um, you, are you talking about when brands try to imitate amateur, the amateur Yeah, yeah, that, 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 yeah as an I, example. I, mean, I, won't, I won't try to um, sort of uh, psychoanalyze what each brand is trying to accomplish in this, but I do think that when you look at the overall landscape of video consumption, you see that an incredible amount of it is amateur. 
Uh, and what I mean by amateur is I mean uh, it's the thing that we call friendertainment. It's like kid, teenagers are watching, if you, even if you just take Snapchat alone, like they're, they're consuming almost all video from their friends. They're, yes, some of them are watching the channels, but, and you could ask Snapchat this, but I'm, I, would ha I would guess that it's 80-20. 80% of the video consumption on Snapchat is friends sending videos to other friends, and it's terrible quality, a lot of it, right? Because it's shaky and it's whatever, but it's, it's again, you're entertained by what your friends and you wanna keep in touch with your friends. It's about finding that and fostering that connection. Um, I actually don't think most brands are going to benefit from imitating the style without finding the spirit. So if you have an overproduced, overwritten, um, uh, sort of schlocky premise for a, for a branded piece, and then you shoot it on an iPhone and put a little shake in it, that doesn't save the bad spirit of that piece of marketing. Um, but if there's something that is actually real and really would arise from your fan base or from your consumer base, sh having one of them shoot it on an iPhone may be really effective because it's it feels real and everyone knows what a real, something that is real looks like versus something that is, is fake. So you have this world where people are shooting on iPhones. Yeah. And, and uh you know, this free distribution worldwide system, but aren't they facing the same challenges as even the studios because they have to keep putting out good, fresh content? How many do you think, just thumbnail, how many creators are able to keep that up, to keep their brand alive, to keep that fresh water flowing out? Because it's not easy to do. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the answer is it's not easy. I mean, that's the reason why you see a lot of the successful, fast growing, creators have taken the vlogging format because it doesn't require a ton of production value or a long-term lead planning. If you are Casey Neistat and you're a guy who travels the world and uh, turns on your camera and skateboards down the street and talks to your fan base like a real dude who's having fun and exploring the world and is feels very accessible, feels very friendly, well, he has millions of followers who love that format. And does it take planning? Yes, it takes planning. And at one point, I think he, he uh, posted a video like 400 days in a row or something. He's, he's, you know, and of course, he's one of the top guys. There's a reason why he's the face of Samsung's campaign. There's a, a reason why uh, CNN bought his company. Uh, there's a reason why millions of people like him. It's because he has a relentless work ethic. He's naturally interesting and he's doing interesting things every single day which creates that sense of momentum where people know every day they're going to see something from him now is it hard to keep up yes he he's he's made millions of dollars by doing it and he even he doesn't want to keep that up every every single day it's it's relentless it is anyone who thinks that they're going to become a successful and growing creator by just making a couple of quote unquote viral videos that's it's it's a joke that's like getting discovered at the soda shop and suddenly you're starring in spielberg's movie and then you're you're a superstar it's like has it happened at some point yes as as lore goes does it happen every day now no now you've got youtube discovering the new stars so looking back to the early days of the digital age it mm -hmm. seems to me a lot of new media was piggybacking off of old media. Like, mm -hmm. like this is a really old example, but that kid that said, leave Britney alone, yeah. that was 
he got four million views in two days. But yeah. there had to be a Britney Spears. There had to be an, an old of media course. thing. So where we are now, how much, how new is new media now? How much piggybacking is going on, and how much would you say it's purely digital? Yeah, I guess a couple things. Um, one is Britney's still Britney. She's more Britney than ever. And none of us can think of that kid's name who said Lee yeah, Britney right. really right? So um, that's my example of someone who, who made one viral video not, not really becoming a creator, not really um, being able to keep that up. You can't cry about leave fill in the blank alone every day. That can't be your thing, right? Um, and so old media is still a powerhouse. I mean, if you, how many old media companies have gone out of business so far because of Facebook or because of YouTube? Now, is their business model changing? Are they having to adjust to this? Are they having to figure out what digital distribution looks like and feels like and how they attract the next generation of audience? Yes, they have to figure all that out. So it's changing their world, but they're not losing to it exactly. Um, they, they, and and there still is no better positioned company in the companies in the world than the media companies who own IP, who own libraries of content, who are full of creative people that, if they're incentivized the right way, could be fantastic at creating new media. But right now, the incentive structure, meaning the amount of money you can make by creating every day. The studios and networks can't make money doing that because it costs them more to produce that now. Will some of them figure it out? Yes, a lot of the big media companies are monetizing on YouTube now. They're, they're making really good money from that, from content they already own. But in the end, would someone rather watch the Leave Britney Alone kid every day or would they rather watch Britney's Greatest Hits videos on Vivo? Um, I mean, clearly the numbers show that they are going to keep watching Britney. So um, I, I, in terms of what's, what, how much is new and how much is old, it, creatively we don't even have to really address that, right? It just is a matter of reaching audiences. The thing that we have now more than ever is a truly pure experimental environment where literally anyone in the world can start creating anything they think is good and the world can decide whether it's good. Um, the, the distance between idea and creation and distribution is so short now that literally no one can say no to an idea before it's live. And sometimes that gets people in trouble. Um, but now we do not have professional filters who keep people from sharing their thing with the world, whatever it is. If you think you're talented, press record. Right. Let's try to predict the future. Uh, it, obviously, new media is not going to just kill old media. Right. Uh, what do you think? Will one format absorb the other? Will they live symbiotically? Will they become something new that's neither fish nor fowl? Or just broad strokes in the future? What, what do you think is going to happen? How, how are you defining new media here? What you do. Okay. So it... If the question is, is full screen and companies like full screen going to replace, quote unquote, old media, I don't see any evidence that that's going to happen. Um, the history of media is, um, is experimentation, fragmentation, consolidation, refragmentation, consolidation. Uh, 
the the best new media companies will either end up being acquirers of other new media companies and create for themselves um, a become their own giant group or they will be acquired by traditional media companies who realize, huh, these guys have figured something out that we didn't figure out as quickly. They got a big head start. Uh, now we're just going to acquire them. Um, you saw Disney acquire Maker. Uh, you've, you, you've seen lots of the studios and networks um, invest in various new media properties. If you went around and looked at all the top digital publishers and new media companies, what you'll find lurking in their books is that uh, Time Warner or NBC Universal or somebody has minority stakes in all of them, right? People are spreading their bets. There is there is no one in this town that is going to sit by and let new media just all of a sudden take their whole lunch. That they've learned, I think, a valuable lesson from Netflix, and I don't think that. Uh, anyone's eager to let that happen again. And so you're seeing lots of investment, lots of cross-pollination. You'll see, you'll see more and more acquisitions as the economics of new media come online. Right now, the studios know how to make money from a blockbuster movie. They don't really know how to make money yet from a digital short series or from a, uh, a webisode uh, series or something like that. And so, look, this is the beginning of this whole thing, not the end of it. And so I love, absolutely love from, from a marketing business geek point of view, I love how many different people are trying to figure out a new model to make money making content and distributing it globally. Uh, and the ones that we know and could talk about uh, here are just a tiny fraction of what's actually going on out there. And we're going to see innovation and more fragmentation and then more consolidation, it never will stop. It's only gonna keep accelerating because it's so easy to launch a content company. It's very hard to build and sustain and grow one. Uh, and it often takes so much money that you need it to come from one of the established players who have a vested interest in making that thing work over one of the other things. So symbiotic, broadly. This has really been some great content. Uh, where can people find out more about Fullscreen? Uh, Fullscreenmedia.co um, is our uh, our general uh, web address, but um, you know you can see our work really through our creators. You can see our work through our brands, um, through uh, you know agency like McBeard and the brands that it does, through the branded content work we do with AT and T and other places. Through look at Rooster Teeth and see what we're doing. I mean, it's it's really when I talk about experimentation on multiple fronts, we're we're actively living that. We're 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 placing bets in a lot of different places, and we're going hard at the future of media. Well, this has all been really great. Alan Beard, Chief Marketing Officer of Full Screen. Thanks for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. You've been listening to the AMA Los Angeles podcast. For more information on the American Marketing Association's Los Angeles chapter and to find out about upcoming events, follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This podcast was produced by Joel Metzger and Icebox Logic.